I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there and welcome to Stock Club, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm James and joining me on today's episode are Mike and Emmett from the My Wall Street analyst teams. Today, we're talking about Apple nearing a $3 trillion valuation, Harry Davidson's electric motorbike SPAC, and if Coinbase could be a good pick-and-shovel play for the growing crypto industry. So, Emmett, Mike, welcome to Stock Club. In the last week, one of our favourite people to talk about here, Elon Musk, has been named as Time's Person of the Year. We might hold our comment on what we think about Elon Musk being <laughs> named Person of the Year, but I'm curious here, who do you guys think should have been named Person of the Year? Was Elon was Elon worthy of it, or would you have picked somebody else? I think from like an investing perspective, like it was Elon Musk. We were talking about him constantly, and it, yeah. it, got, it got annoying at the end. Like I was sick of just commentating on his next twitter snafu or whatever but yeah, yeah I, I suppose guess. i suppose in a way we're to blame for it partially because we talk about him all the time That's i might true. personally give out about him a lot but uh we, we've definitely fed into that emmett who would you have picked for time person of the year i'd probably follow scott galloway's lead and go with Mackenzie scott uh jeff bezos's widow who basically is divesting her wealth not a widow <laughs> definitely not a widow emmett <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot. It's the other one. <laughs> unless, unless one of those Blue Origin launches has gone horrendously wrong oh, in the last 20 minutes. <laughs> it's been a long week. Look, you know, it's near the end of the year. A long life to her. Uh, Mackenzie, if you're listening, we hope you're still alive and that rumours of your passing are grossly exaggerated. What about you, Mike? Would you have gone with Elon? Well, yeah, because, like, it's not the, like... The time person of the year doesn't have to be a good thing. Yeah. And they picked like um, Hitler and Stalin. It was like the most influential figure for the year. I think I don't think there's many people who've been talked about less. I think I would have went with Dolly Parton, but that's just me. So let's move on. So let's talk about Apple. Quick history lesson for you guys here. So it took Apple 42 years to reach a $1 trillion market cap. But as we record this, the company is teetering on the brink of a $3 trillion valuation. As an Irish person, that's a really hard thing to say, $3 trillion. This means that the largest company in the world has managed to triple its market cap in just a little over three years. Emmett, part of me says that we shouldn't be fascinating over an arbitrary milestone like this. But then another part of me is just astounded that we're looking at a $3 trillion company. If that's larger than the GDP of the UK, according to my quick Google search. Uh, what's your take on this? Do we? Did you ever think, and I suppose in all of your years as an investor, that we'd be looking at a company of this size? I have to admit, James, I did not, or at least I didn't expect to see what we've seen for several decades. And as it happens, today I founded my Wall Street with John. Apple shares were $17 and change, and the business was around $280 billion in, yeah. in size. And in that short intervening period, it's grown tenfold to over 170 bucks a share and as you said now almost three trillion dollars in size but here's
here's the thing. Most people stop comprehending numbers when they go into the high hundreds of thousands. Like, for example, as you guys know well, Ireland's largest sports stadium is Croke Park, which is the home of our beautiful National Gaelic Sports. And at peak capacity, Croke Park, or Croker as it's known locally, holds 82,000 500 people which when you're in there on all ireland final day which is the biggest sporting event in the irish calendar or if you're at a big gig you get to see and you get to feel what that number of people looks and sounds like so when i hear that ireland's population is whatever it is like five million people i think that's 60 croakers full to capacity. So I'm benchmarking something I know to visualize something that's outside my everyday comprehension. And I can fly up in my imagination in a helicopter and see 60 croak parks full. And I know that that's the population of Ireland. Then when you go, well, what's a billion? In terms of a billion, well, it's 12,000 croak parks. And that, so that's kind of crazy. There's not, you know, that doesn't make sense anymore. But then when you come to Apple, we're not talking about people, obviously, here. We're talking about dollars. And we're, to- we're not talking about billions. We're talking about trillions. So what is one trillion? What is a trillion? Well, in, in my old physics days, I would have said it's 10 to the power of 12 or one with 12 zeros after it, which, again, means nothing. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean anything to anyone. It's it's a thousand billion dollars. Now, here's something that I suppose starts to frame what that looks or feels like. If you were to count out $100 bills at a rate of one per second, it would take 10 seconds, obviously enough, to get to $1,000. It would take three hours to count out a million bucks. And that's a $100 note every second. And it would take 115 days to do $1 billion. Now we have to multiply that by a thousand to get to a trillion, which means you would be counting out $100 bills at a rate of one per second for 321 years to get to a trillion. Or so in other words, to get to Apple's valuation, you would be counting out for a thousand years, $100 per second for a thousand years. And what's happened again is that means nothing. It's now suddenly slipped out of our, I don't know what you call it, our cognitive circle or something, you know, the way we can picture things. Trillion is a number that's too big for most people to picture. If I say, well, you count out a $100 note per second for the next thousand years, people are like, that's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. Three trillion miles is a half a light year. Now that one blows my mind because <laughs> I spent so much time looking at this kind of stuff once upon a time. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I don't know. Ireland's national debt is, I think it's a quarter of a trillion. It's in that order of magnitude. Another thing I Google is apparently there's 37 trillion cells in the human body. Does that mean anything to anyone? No, it doesn't. We just don't encounter a trillion in any Anything we do in reality. So to see that, or to ask the question, did I ever think I'd see Apple would be a trillion or indeed a three trillion dollar business? Or do I think it might someday be a 10 trillion dollar business is beyond the comprehension or scope of sizing for a human brain. So yeah. did I ever think it would be three trillion? Nah. Did I ever think it would be 10 trillion? Nah. I, I didn't think about it. Like you're, you're at a level now where you just kind of apply your basic scope of understanding and, and try and bring it into something you understand. And you, you mentioned the 10 trillion mark there. And I think that's a really interesting point that I remember a couple of years ago, all this excitement about these companies. You know, there was a few of them. I think Amazon was another one kind of nearing the 1 trillion and who would be first. And it seems that almost as soon as it passed, it's like, okay, well, 10 trillion is next. And like the, mm. the order 
like the, the the massive amounts amount of like space and and multiplication needed between one trillion and ten trillion is insane. And I think you know, media often glosses over that. Mike, if you had pitched Apple to me as a high growth investment a couple of years ago, I probably would have rolled my eyes. As with most people, it was one of the biggest companies back then. But in the past five years, the stock has managed to grow sixfold, which is not a bad return by any means, especially a company of that size. Do we still think, you know, at $3 trillion, there's still room for this company to go grow? What parts of Apple's businesses excite you or or you think where the next form of growth will come for this company? Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of depressing as a stock picker that like the most <laughs> obvious staring you in the face business was the one that grew sixfold in five years, you know? Yeah. That's the phrase, keep it simple, mm. stupid. Yeah, Just, that's what Rory always says, you'll never get fired for uh, picking Amazon. Yeah, mm. exactly. Just invest in big tech and forget about it. Yeah, no, I don't I don't think we can underestimate like the influence and expanse that Apple's network has between iOS, its hardware devices, its app store. It's so much of the internet like is being ran and within these walls that Apple has created. And we saw like its wider influence on like huge companies like Facebook. And like, yeah. you know, at the flick of a, at the flick of a switch with iOS 14, it was able to completely disrupt one of the biggest companies in the world. So I think the scale of Apple and like, as Emmett said there on his tirade, like as in we can't really imagine how big it actually is and how much influence it has. So in terms of what's next, like as in I know they put in uh, patent applications for uh, VR and AR headsets, you know, that's likely the next frontier of the internet and the metaverse and everything else. And I, I can see no reason why Apple wouldn't own that too. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. but apart from like nice shiny gadgets, I think an inevitable part of Apple's future will be services, and we can envisage a whole load of them now, like you know, home entertainment and video games and TV and music and everything. But like they will come out with things we haven't yet imagined. Like connected fitness is there, and it's a, a label that we've all looked at, and connected healthcare, but connected safety and connected nutrition and possibly even genetics. You know, like there are there will be new layers of services brought to us by human human-centric technology that we just haven't seen yet. It's it's inevitable. And I know they, they even spoke about cars and I think, well, uh, is it Project Titan was the one where they had like a thousand people secretly, it wasn't a great secret, yeah. developing a car and, and then they were doing something with Hyundai and, and then they had these companies, Faraday Futures and 68 Research that they clearly was the worst kept secret in the valley. So everything from automotive to genetics, I think is in the radar. The bigger the opportunity, the higher the likelihood Apple will creep in there. I, I just think uh, Apple decides when the when the trend starts. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. as in yeah. wireless headphones, and now AirPods alone are making more money than Nvidia mm. and Spotify and Shopify, and it's and just the abuse they got when they unleashed those AirPods. Like everyone, yeah. like the whole internet was like making fun of them, and then now yeah. everybody has them. Yeah, yeah I think right. it could be. I, could, I think it could be when Apple released those headsets that 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 is when it starts. That's yeah. the mm. kickoff point. It doesn't matter mm, if Facebook true. are messing around with Oculus, and I know Microsoft mm. are talking about it as well. But like Apple are the decision makers when it comes to this for the wider public. And even just talking then about all of those different areas that that we can see Apple already involved in or, or potentially getting involved in. The next question is obviously a three trillion dollar company with so much influence. We often hear criticism against the likes of Google and Facebook for having too much influence on you know modern society and uh, civic discourse and things like that. When are we going to reach a point where people are like right Apple needs to be broken up they're too big you know, this has been a threat to business. You know, if we call it a threat for a very, very long time, there was a thing called the Sherman 
Antitrust Act, which was passed in 1890 in America in response to price fixing by the apples of the day, which were companies like American Tobacco and International Harvester and businesses that are just no longer relevant. And it gave the government power to act in the interest of consumers and I suppose in the interest of competition, which I suppose has a dotted line to the interest of consumers. And that has always been the case. So since 1890, government and regulation has tried to stop businesses getting overpowered. And the last like super monopoly that I, I can think of was AT&T uh, in America, which yeah. uh, was smashed up by the government into a whole load of all these different parts. And I do, I personally think it is inevitable that governments will try to smash up or, or impede Apple's growth. But you have to wonder, has it got to a scale size now with resources at its disposal that just I don't want to say is unstoppable, but yeah. it's going to be very, very difficult to impede. Yeah, yeah. I think the judge, uh, the judge in the Epic Games case, said something along the lines of, "You, you can't punish success." You yeah, know? Mm. and like this, this platform and ecosystem and network that Apple have created is from its success. I, I can't imagine just because of the interconnectivity of all of kind of its products, it would be tough to break it up. Yeah, absolutely. I think it also benefits from direct comparisons with the likes of Facebook and Google. <laughs> They're never going to look as bad or as, as evil as them in some cases. Uh, so that probably benefits them. So we're going to move on. But you know, Microsoft is about $2.5 trillion. Alphabet, Amazon and Tesla are all in the $1 trillion club. Do we think Microsoft will be the next $3 trillion company or with Tesla's pace of growth, could it pass it out? Yeah, why not? You know, I don't know what a trillion <laughs> is. <laughs> sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it will. Whatever. Yeah, yeah put whatever. me down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, bring it in. Yeah, three trillion. Yeah, I'm good with that. Why not? You know, I, 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 I explained. It's I, only zero. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like we're done with this conversation. Right? Uh, let's move on to something we've been, well, in the last few podcasts, we've been talking a lot about electric cars and trucks and stuff like that. But here's something I don't think we have ever spoken about, which is electric motorbikes. Love, love electric motorbikes. <laughs> I've caught your attention. So earlier this week, yeah. Livewire, the electric motorbike company that was, was spun out from Harry Davidson last year, announced that it was going to go public through a SPAC. And the deal is set to value Livewire at just under $2 billion, with Harry Davidson retaining a 74% stake in the company. Livewire produces EV bikes that sell for about 20 grand and get approximately 145 miles of range. Famously, these are the bikes that were used by Ewan McGregor and Charlie Boorman in their 11-part Apple TV series, Long Way Up, which I think was out last year. Emmett, I know you were a big... Uh, fan of oh, that brilliant, program brilliant show Mike I'm going to come to you first though to me Harry Davidson is one of those iconic old school American brands but it's not a brand that I immediately associate with green energy or, or saving the environment it's one I kind of associate with leather jackets and uh, cans of Natty Light what do you think How, is this perhaps one of the reasons why Harry Davidson spun out this company that it didn't fit in with the wider brand Yeah, I, I think the reason why it was spun out is because there was smart people there at Harley Davidson who realised they were not going to get the kind of multiples that electric vehicle companies get if Livewire was part of Harley Davidson, you know? Okay. So the way to get the most value out of this division and out of all this investment was to make it its own separate company. And I think if you compare like say Ford and GM, they haven't done this because they see their electric vehicles as being their main business eventually, okay. whereas Harley Davidson will still maintain the two separate brands. So in terms of fitting into the wider brand, I don't I don't see why eco-friendly would be a turnoff, but like maybe there is this perception of hairy old school biker who loves the sound of diesel or whatever. I, I don't think it's that per se. I do think it's because by making an, an independent electric bike company, it's going to get a valuation probably more, more deserving of the potential there rather yeah. than 
holding on to kind of this legacy company with it you know that's an interesting point Emmett you you're obviously a, a big fan of electric motorbikes are you a fan of this company would you be interested in, in potentially investing in it I'm pretty sure I was a shareholder in Hog a very long time ago. Hog is Harley's ticker. Um, I had finished a case study in 06 during a master's in strategy where they learned me that Harley creates a demand with what I suppose you'd call a synthetic line or or a queue, as we say here in Ireland. And at that time, if you walked into a Harley dealership with cash, you were still forced to wait for months and I think maybe even years for your bike, even if they had a whole pile of them on the factory floor. And this, of course, creates demand because you can only want what you do not have, such as the nature of the human soul. And that was that was quite an interesting strategy at that time in 06. And I think, you know, uh, handbag manufacturers and kind of luxury goods manufacturers play the same game. You know, there's no big deal for them to turn out enough to meet demand, but they slow it down in order to make sure that demand is pent up. But with, um, with the likes so, of those companies then, hand, I, I know Rory often talks about Michael Kors, you know, it, it's mm. a difficult thing to scale then it that, is that really hard you can really yeah. if you tip the balance too much you lose yeah. a very important branding uh, feature huge i mean michael kors is a case study on strategic drift you know they were exclusive in in bowman strategy clock they were kind of up in the top right hand side which is like high price hard to get very exclusive you can't uh, it, it, actually if our listeners google bowman's strategy clock it's a very nice device for just picturing where any product sits and inside that kind of 360 degree arc there's this zone of failure where you try to be more than one thing at once and michael kors drifted from luxury into mass market and tried to maintain both you just can't do it whether harley i think harley is 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 a premium brand that's accessible to most professionals it's not pure luxury but it's premium but i I don't know i'm just you know i'm just riffing here (laughs) (laughs) well well, (laughs) keep going keep going (laughs) put another another 50p in him (laughs) (laughs) well i think i think the fact that livewire is choosing to go public through a spac that that really caught my eye because you know a couple of months ago on this podcast, we couldn't help but talk about SPACs. And it seems the landscape has dried up a little bit recently. Mm-hmm. Emmett, what are your what's your thoughts on the current SPAC landscape? Do you think it's losing their, its luster a little bit? James, it took me something like 15 years to learn that I should only buy companies six months after the IPO. And it was a rule that I swore by. I lived by it. I, when Rory started my Wall Street, he was he had this like insatiable appetite for tell me everything you know. And I threw books at him and I told him everything I learned. One of the things I said was you never buy a company within six months of IPO because they're still learning the ropes and the management team have to adjust their cadence, etc. Anyway, I was all for my own rules. And then along came SPACs in force anyway. Like SPACs have been around for 20 years, but they kind of came into all our attention uh, spans in the last couple of years. And I found myself buying into companies that had not gone through a traditional IPO process and were not listed for six months. In essence, I broke two of the rules in one fell swoop. Well, I don't know uh, if they're losing their luster, but I can certainly see there's massive benefits to a SPAC for founders of businesses who can get their life's work, if if that's what it is, floated in like six weeks with yeah. any due process. But from a retail investor side, which is us, 
they most certainly have lost their luster for me. I carry around a pretty large helping of annoyance at myself for not being more sceptical. I'm really annoyed at myself. Each spack is its own story. So it's wrong for me to say that they're all good or all bad. There's certainly some very high quality businesses out there as a result of a SPAC and names jump into my mind as I say that. But but they are still here and they're still going strong. But I personally have developed, redeveloped, <laughs> um, a, 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 I suppose, what would I say, a caution. Now, at the end of Q3 this year, there were 500 SPAC IPOs. So literally just a few weeks ago, 500 gone out the door this year. Yeah. And seemingly that number is only set to get higher this month this in Q4 I mean to say what I would say to our listeners if they've interest in SPACs there's a really good website it's spactrack.net and if you go to spactrack.net and even put in backslash active SPACs it shows a nice list of every SPAC that's out there looking for a home it shows the size of the check if you will and who's behind it and it's an interesting website that I've been watching for the last couple of years yeah, one thing I often found interesting about SPACs was that they seem to be a good home for these producers of electric vehicles. You know, so we have Livewire going public to a SPAC. We've had some successful ones like Lucid Motors, for example, but there's also been a lot of flops like Lordstown and Nikola. The EV industry is still in its very, very early days. Do we think that a lot of these companies went via the SPAC route because they perhaps don't have the financials to back up a massive public listing and a SPAC was an easy way to get it to market and perhaps a more concealed way if you were to be a cynic? I think it was the opposite of concealed because they could say whatever they wanted. It was way too open. They were allowed kind of put in their own revenue projections. I think something like five different EV SPACs said they would break Google's record of the fastest company to get wow. 10 billion in revenue. So is, is are, the opposite of concealed lying? I didn't know that. <laughs> no, sorry, maybe concealed is the wrong word, but... Um, yeah, they were just allowed to say too much. Whereas if you look at a traditional IPO process, they're kind of not allowed to say anything before. They're not allowed to make any projections. So I think it did. It, it It's a new way of going public, and I don't think it's going to go away. But I do think that in its infancy, it was allowed to get away with way too much. And like certain founders were given far too much rope, and some of them took the mick, like Nicola like uh, not yeah, like Lordstown as well. So yeah, it's the same with any kind of financial vehicle. There's always going to be someone who's going to try to take advantage of it. And I think because SPACs were this new thing and there was such an excitement about it, maybe they were the easiest to take advantage of. But long term, they're going to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's move on then. So what's going on in my Wall Street at the minute? Well, we're coming to the end of yet another year, but there's still loads of great investing analysis coming out of my Wall Street HQ. I have details about a very special live stream that you, when you're listening to this, you'll actually be able to catch up on, but I'll fill you in more on that at the end of this show. But don't forget that next week we have our annual Big Fat Wrap of the Year for Stock Club. In that episode, the whole analyst team will come on to onto the podcast and we'll go over some of the biggest stories from 2021. And I'll also needle them into making some predictions for 2022. Emmett, we need to find out how your prediction for this year when can you even remember what it was james you know i can remember and you have to ask me this on a show where rory is co-hosting so i can eyeball him and we're on zoom i predicted that macy's would at least double in 2021 and on the day i said that or rather on the day that that podcast went live macy's was ten dollars a share today it's 25 dollars a share so you have to ask me again <laughs> next week next because week. i don't remember what rory said but i know what i said i think and I rory, had, rory had something to do with spotify but i'll i'll, oh, I'll nail him appropriately on next week's podcast don't worry yeah. about that so in addition to that podcast which you can catch up on next week we have a new stock coming to my wall street on monday a new stock being added to horizon watch this too over the next few days and plenty of other great stuff to get you through the festive season so make sure to keep an eye out for all of that mailbag 
For this week's mailbag, we're taking a question sent in to us by Stephen at pod at mywallstreet.com. Stephen asks us, with the likes of Disney, Square and Nike all getting into NFTs and the crypto game in general becoming more mainstream, do we think that Coinbase could be a good investment as a pick and shovel play? I thought this was a really good question. Mike, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, like this is a conversation I think JT or Emmett, one of you told me anyways, when you were going to Silicon Valley first, when my Wall Street started, I think a lot of questions you were getting were, why don't you start a brokerage instead? And and your response, and it was quite appreciative one for the time, this is seven or eight years ago, was that that industry is a race to the bottom. And like, look at it now, like there's no commissions on trades anymore, basically with all the major brokers. I think we'll see similar movements in the crypto world. Like being a middleman is not a great business model. I think technology is always going to catch up. If you're the one in the transaction not adding value, I think you're going to get squeezed out of the deal eventually. And even though that as well, like it's been only a couple of months since it went public, but it's also been tracking the price of Bitcoin pretty closely since its public debut. So I'm not sure if that fits into the pick and shovel mode. But the Wolf of Harcourt Street on Twitter, he's a good follow, by the way, actually. He's Irish uh, stock content producer, I suppose. He actually pointed out that NFT service is now a trending topic on Fiverr, the freelancing site. So if you are looking for a pick and shovel, this could be an interesting way of playing it. Yeah. And, and are they, is it artists offering to make pictures that can be turned into NFTs or people offering to create NFTs? Or have you looked? <laughs> I think it's the artists. I'm not sure artists. exactly. Okay. Interesting. Okay, cool. Thanks for that. That was a good answer. Okay, guys, let's finish out today as always with an elevator pitch. So later on this evening, we're recording this on Thursday. We're holding our first ever live stream in celebration of Horizon's two-year anniversary. On this live stream, you guys, plus Rory and Marie, will be pitching me the one stock you'd buy and hold for the next 12 years. And it's similar to what you're doing with your portfolio in Horizon. And by the time you guys, I mean, listeners hear this, (laughs) the live stream will be over, but you will be able to catch up on the replay on our social channels and also take part in the competition. The closing date for that competition is friday at 5 p.m so if you're listening to this friday morning make sure to get on that quickly and find out more details on the recording of the live stream but to give you a teaser of what you can expect on this live stream Evan and mike i want you guys to give me the elevator pitch of a stock that you're going to pitch on the live stream later this stock is one that you'd buy and hold for 12 years in the very much in the spirit of Emmett, what you're trying to do with horizon mike i'll come to you first what stock are you going to pitch us later uh, the company I'm pitching is Unity Software. So I mentioned Apple's kind of mixed reality headsets earlier and Facebook and Microsoft honing in on the metaverse as well. So this is kind of a pick and shovel play for the metaverse. So I could have mentioned it actually in the last question <laughs> as well. But I kind of see Unity as being like one of the main benefactors of kind of this move to the next, I suppose, digital frontier, essentially. So what Unity does is it enables developers to create interactive 3D content for gaming augmented and virtual reality think something like photoshop on steroids essentially (laughs) the company that's going to entertain you when you're there okay cool you're talking a lot about the the metaverse recently might we see a rebranding of mike to meta (laughs) (laughs) meta matany meta world peace yeah yeah think about it i think i think it would suit you Uh, (laughs) emmet what about you I'm going to go with Viva, which is a company that helps pharma companies manage sales and operations and general regulatory compliance, which is a very complex thing for drug development companies. The company was founded in 07 by a guy called Peter Gassner, who worked in Salesforce.com. And apparently, according to his bio, he actually built the platform. Now, I'm sure other people helped. But when I pitched later, or when I pitched yesterday, as our listeners, uh, for our listeners' logic, there's three reasons I'm pitching the business. They almost never lose a customer. 
because switching to another provider is just so complex and messy. And, and apart from anything, there's no other clear competitor. So that's the first reason I like them. Uh, secondly, the company is expanding into other industries. So it's going beyond pharma. It's moving into uh, cosmetics and general consumer goods and chemicals. So it means there's other avenues for growth. And finally, they have really beautiful economics. Like the economics of the business are very very attractive, which I won't dive into. In fact, I'm going to go for a fourth reason, which is that that CEO, Peter Gassner, who I mentioned as the founder, is highly respected by staff and in the industry and is clearly a visionary in the space. So uh, I think Viva is a great stock to just sell it and forget it for 12 years. Absolutely. Would you would you say it's the most boring company we have in my Wall Street and Horizon? <laughs> I had to drink a coffee halfway through that pitch. Yeah. Well, I, I actually wouldn't even... I, Pure Storage is another one of those companies that whenever anyone talks yeah. about it, it's just like white noise, white noise, white noise. But Viva, <laughs> you made Viva interesting, Emmett, so I'll give you a pat on the back for that. Thanks, man. So don't forget, if you're listening to this on Friday, you can catch up with that live stream and find out what stocks Rory and Anne-Marie pitched, as well, as well as more details about the competition we're running for Horizon. But for now, that's it for today's show. Remember, if you have any questions you'd like us to answer or elevator pitches you'd like us to tackle, make sure to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter, that's at MyWallStreetHQ. On TikTok, that's at MyWallStreet. Or simply just email us at pod at mywallstreet.com. And if you agree with Mike changing his name to Meta, maybe send in your answers and we'll do a vote. We could do a, a public name changing. Mike, I can see you're kind of moving away from your camera there. If you're enjoying the show, make sure to tell your friends all about us. And don't forget to leave a review on whatever podcasting platform you listen to us on. Thanks for joining us today. And from the three of us here, we'll see you next week. <laughs> Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.